Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 57 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a good week out there. Happy December! As I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, I decided to take a a slightly different approach for December this year. A lot of movie-related podcasts, of course, are pulling out Christmas specials and, and holiday movies and stuff. But for me, holidays have always been a little bit of childhood rekindled. Um, just a, a chance to, to revisit your childhood through that holiday magic, whether you have children of your own that you're, you're helping explore it through, or just a chance to revisit that, that element of your own life. And so for December, uh, I'm doing a, a slew of, of children's movies, because when I looked at movies that had been picked for the show, I, I realized there was a theme that I had kind of this trend of a, a couple of children's movies. And I decided, let's just put those together and kind of do a tribute to childhood uh, in December as part of celebrating the holidays. And for me, childhood couldn't be better represented than by the Muppets. So when this week's guest, Connor J. Burke of the No Highway Option podcast, brought up the great Muppet caper, and another guest in an upcoming episode picked a different Muppet movie, uh, I, I just I could not help but jump at the chance to do this, because... To me, the Muppets really help represent my childhood, and I frankly, I celebrate holidays each year with a little bit of the Muppets. I mean, they have several really great Christmas specials. I personally love the Muppet Family Christmas. The version that's out on DVD of this is edited because of music rights, which is a constant problem with the Muppets. We talk about that a little bit in this episode as to why we haven't seen some of their shows, even on Disney+. Plus. But uh, to me, that is the holiday spirit and that is my childhood and it was great to get to revisit this movie and i i love that i'm getting to kind of kick off a couple of weeks here of holiday joy through children's movies so this week's movie is of course 1982's the great muppet caper brought to us by guest connor j burke and it, it was great to revisit this film and we have a fantastic conversation about it hope you really enjoy it here we go with 1982's the great muppet caper So let's start off with the obvious question: Who is your favorite Muppet? My favorite Muppet has to be Gonzo. He's just—he's—he's he's so weird. He's so out there. He was one of those guys that, like, growing up, kind of idolized him because he taught me to like not care what people think and people like you, no matter how strange you end up being. That's great. Yeah, I when I was younger. Gonzo was my favorite. Like when I saw these movies the first time, I was in a right. real Gonzo phase. But as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate Kermit a lot more. Like I've always joked that several of the jobs that I've had, I feel like Kermit trying to wrangle yeah. the circus. You know, that oh. the look that he gets on the Muppet show when things are not going well or in any of the movies. Yeah, the little scrunched up face when he does his freak out at everybody because he's always such a slow burn. I think Kermit is like by default everyone's favorite Muppet. And then when you ask them who their favorite is, who they say is usually like that and Kermit, of course. Right, right. Well, before we get to talking Muppets, I just had to had to open with that question. Um, before we get to talking Muppets, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. What kind of movies you like? That kind of thing. So yeah, I am uh, twenty five, and my favorite my favorite movie of all time doesn't really fit with 
the movies that I tend to watch a lot. For some reason, it's just because I saw it like at a formative time and the dialogue got to me. My favorite movie ever is The Social Network. But yeah, okay. But as a person, I like dumb comedies and animation and musicals a lot more than that type of like big drama. So like this Great Muppet Caper is absolutely in my top five. Tommy Boy, Ratatouille, um, stuff like that is always on a constant rotation. See, this is what I love about movies. You give us the social network, the great Muppet caper, Tommy Boy, and you're putting them on the same list. And it's that that does not happen. And yeah. yet there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's that right there shows your variety of taste. And I love that. Yeah, there's some kind of there's a small inner lap, I guess. Like they must all have one tiny thing in common. <laughs> <laughs> well let's see in the latest muppet projects they've been using social networking they so... have <laughs> so they've got the lawyer guy in there now uh joe the weasel or whatever right <laughs> have you been uh have you been checking out the new muppet series yes the muppets now on disney plus i think it ended a month or two ago because they only did a couple episodes but i thought it was cute i thought it was a good time and a way to kind of modernize them yeah um how do you feel about Matt Vogel's Kermit performance? I, you know, it, it's funny because that's the number one feedback I read when I am stupid enough to look at the comments. Yeah. Like when Disney Plus would do a Facebook post about, oh, check out the new episode of Muppets Now tonight. And I would look at the comments and everybody was criticizing, like, that doesn't sound like my Kermit. And I'm like, it 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 sounds like Kermit to me. Yeah, he, it sounds a little more like Jim Henson's Kermit. Like, it has the deeper, dopier thing. The thing I couldn't stand is just seeing people be like, well, why didn't you just hire me? I can do a better Kermit than that. It's like, that's not how it works, really, because Matt's doing a good job with getting back to the roots of the character instead of making him kind of a sad sack like he was in the new movies. But that's yeah, that's a whole topic on its own. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't have any problem with it, and I felt like it was pretty true to a modern version of what the Muppets did back in the day with the Muppet show. And I wish Disney plus would give us the Muppet show and Muppets tonight so that people could go back and, and stop just remembering that and revisit it and go, Oh yeah, this actually is kind of in the same vein. Yeah. There's the whole sketch element and there was genuine subversiveness to it that the uh, Muppets now was trying to do with viral videos and trying to upend them. It, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think I heard that the reason the Muppet Show and Muppets Tonight aren't on Disney Plus is a bunch of music licensing issues. I'm sure. I'm sure. Which, I mean, we only got three seasons, I think, yeah. of the Muppet Show put out on DVD, and then they stopped trying because the the rights were just so messed up. Too much of a mess, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of stuff that I still have never seen from it. Like, I've seen a lot of them, but some of the episodes in 4 and 5 just have never made their way across my desk, and I I miss it. Well, and I, I was telling some friends the other day about my, my one of my absolute favorite Muppet scenes. It doesn't even involve Kermit or anybody, and it's it's the bear in an episode of Muppets Tonight when he is, he's you know, he's security. Oh, and, Bobo, yeah. Yeah, Bobo. And when he's trying to uh, keep somebody out, and it's Prince. 
Except for mm-hmm. at that point, he wasn't and, going by Prince. So he was the artist formerly known as Prince. And that was the gag is he comes up and he's like, name, sir. Uh, I'm the artist formerly known as Prince. And I'm the bear currently known as Not Amused. You know, yeah. I just love that joke. Yeah, they have the back and forth. He's confused about the symbol and like how to pronounce it and everything. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that full episode's on YouTube. That's a strange one. But Muppets Tonight was interesting. Muppets Tonight yeah. had a... It definitely, I remember in college, a lot of people would share specifically with me the uh, one clip from that show where out of nowhere, Kermit just does um, the Talking Head song. Yes, which is such a bizarre moment. (laughs) And in the context of the episode, there's no context. It just happens. Yeah. And it's a great performance, but it's so strange. Yeah. It's just weirdness. But to some degree, I mean, it's, you just mentioned Gonzo's your favorite Muppet and that's, that's part of the appeal of Gonzo, and I totally uh, uh, bought into that when I was younger, that he's just weird. And I don't think I got when I was younger that the underlying message behind that was it's okay to be weird. And that mm-hmm. acceptance that you were talking about, I didn't get it. I just liked him because he was weird. And now that I'm an adult and I look back at it, I go, wow, that was kind of really cool that that, that was part of what I liked about it and and not even getting the message, but yet it's still influencing me. Yeah, and I think part of Gonzo's evolution was becoming the accepting for your weirdness self. Because he started out just like as a parody of strange modern art pieces. Like he would eat the tire to the tune of Flight of the Bumblebee, or he would just do stunts (laughs) and be screaming art the whole time. And I think it was in the movies where he became more of an accepted for who you are when he had the I'm going to go back there someday song in the original oh. Muppet movie, which is absolutely gorgeous. That's a song that makes me cry way too often. Yes. Yeah. And that actually is something I want to talk about. So let's go ahead and get into the, I guess the meat of the episode here. So we're talking today about the great Muppet caper from 1981 written by Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus and Jerry Jewell and Jack Rose directed by Jim Henson, his uh, directorial debut starring Kermit, the frog, Fozzie bear, the great Gonzo, Miss Piggy, Charles Grodin and Diana Rigg. Or if you prefer Jim Henson, Frank Oz, Dave Goles, Jerry Nelson, Richard Hunt, Charles Grodin, and Diana Rigg. No matter what, you just have to shout out Charles Grodin because he is going for it in this. Oh my God. <laughs> well, so is Diana Rigg. That's <laughs> yeah. what I love. Smile. A spectacular motion picture event. The one movie that's got it all. The Great Muppet Caper. Let's go for it. It's the story of a daring jewel heist. The target, Diana Rigg, as wealthy Lady Holiday. I feel as if thieves were breathing down my neck. Thieves aren't breathing down your neck. The culprit, Charles Grodin, as her dastardly brother. Why are you doing this? Because I'm a villain. And the prime suspect. I think I've got a picture of a thief. A beautiful young pig. Miss Piggy stole my necklace. And now it's up to Kermit the Frog. We're about to embark on a potentially dangerous mission. Fozzie Bear. We don't want the bad guys to win. The Great Gonzo. I heard him planning to steal the baseball diamond. And a heroic band of party animals. We're going to have to catch those thieves red-handed. What color are their hands now? To save the day. There could be physical violence. There could be gunplay. And there's the slightest chance that somebody might even get killed. I'm out. It's Muppet action and adventure like you've never seen before. 
It is rather breathtaking, isn't it? All wrapped up in the wildest Muppet motion picture ever. Ah, you want excitement? Now you can own the great Muppet caper on video cassette. Need I say more? All right, so I always start off by asking, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? And and as hard as it may be to believe, there are people out there who aren't familiar with the Muppet movies. So how do you sell them on wanting to see this movie? So, uh, man, I'm trying to do it in a way if they don't know who the Muppets are. <laughs> so I, I, I think I think we can assume cultural awareness that that everybody knows who Kermit is at the okay. very least. Picture three naive young adults trying to solve a mystery in the middle of a movie. They know they're in the movie, and they're playing it out as such. The mystery, <laughs> and it's just them messing up, but somehow it all works out. I, I love the fact that you bring up the fact that they know they're in a movie, because that has always been one of my favorite aspects of this movie, that it's very self-aware. It's self-aware in such a specific way, though. Like, it's not the modern... Deadpool-esque self-aware where they constantly look at the camera and are like, ugh, man, I'm over being in this movie. Isn't that guy stupid? They just acknowledge, this is a movie, these are the opening credits, and we're having a good time. It's just they left the cameras rolling. Yeah, and they, in fact, they never look at the cameras, and the the, the closest they get is when Kermit tells the uh, cameo by Peter Falk, you know, we're trying it, to make a movie here, and mm-hmm. he looks around for the cameras, but even he doesn't look at the camera. I think there's one specific instance where in the opening song, Hey, a movie where Kermit true. addresses the audience and says, boy, I wish I were you people seeing this. For, or I should do this in the voice, shouldn't I? Boy, I wish <laughs> I were you people seeing this for the first time. Now, see, and, now you're supposed to say, why didn't they hire me to do Kermit? You're supposed to follow I, it up with that. <laughs> yeah, I, but but Matt Vogel is a legend, so I can't 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 do that to him. No, my absolutely one of my favorite jokes from this movie is there in the opening credits when they're addressing the fact that they're flying in this balloon during the opening credits. And Fozzie asks if people actually read these things. And Kermit's joke is, you know, oh, of course they do. These people yeah. have families. <laughs> that that was also something that that taught me kind of what opening credits were when I was a child. Because I remember yeah. watching like some of the classic things like Mary Poppins or Bambi or whatever. And they would have the extended opening credit sequences, especially Mary Poppins lasts for like 10 minutes. And <laughs> it's not it, that bad, but you might think it when you're younger. It felt like a long time, man. Even the sequel one felt like a long time. But um, so and that would always be like, why are all the words up here? I can't read yet. I don't care about this. And then when this happened and they were saying these are opening credits and the ending ones are longer. I was like, oh, I think I understand it a little more now. Right. It's all the people who worked to make this happen. And I I love the fact that not only do they acknowledge it through the normal way of having the credits, but then they acknowledge it, you know, in in the dialogue that's going on about the credits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's always just entertained me to no end. And the fact that it's just, I also love how there's two discussions going on where Fozzie is very perplexed by the credits and Gonzo is just going, I want to jump. I'm going (laughs) to jump. It's going to be so fun when I jump. And Kermit's trying to just like corral both of them. Yeah. <laughs> but then all that that scene is also such an example of technical wizardry. And and that's just so prevalent oh. in in all of the Muppet movies. But it's like 
you would think with the everything they achieved with the first movie that they could just rest on their laurels and do it again. And instead, they have the the Muppets in a hot air balloon and doing water ballet. And, and you know, in the first movie, they have Kermit riding a bike. So here, let's have all the Muppets yeah. ride a bike. <laughs> it, it's Kermit and Piggy riding a bike. And you're like, wow, now there's two. And they're starting to do figure eights. And you're like, wow, that's a little more impressive. And then everybody's here. And yeah. it's... It's fantastic. I also love in the beginning, which is just a very specific thing I've never noticed until right now, right before the Hey A Movie song starts, Gonzo Uh is in a specific look that we've never seen him do before. Just like three buttons open, plaid shirt, and high jeans with a weird (laughs) belt. It's a great look for him, and I'm sad it has never come back. (laughs) So what is your history with this movie? I mean, you're, you're younger than I am. Um, is this just something that was put on for you as a child or how did you discover it? Yeah. Growing up, I always enjoyed the Muppets. Like my parents would just put it on for us and I was, you know, coming of age during, well, not coming of age, but I was born like right around Muppet Treasure Island, Muppets Tonight time. And I was a teenager when the Muppets and the reboots started coming out, but it was, This one specifically has always stuck in my head just because of how weird it was. I think I was shown it for the first time when I was maybe seven or eight. And I just remembered bits and pieces of it. I remembered everything involving the baseball diamond because that was a joke I understood. The the fabulous baseball diamond. Yeah, the fabulous baseball diamond. (laughs) Um, And just bits and pieces of it. And I would always go back to it and be like, oh, yeah, that's the motorcycle one. That's the one where Miss Piggy has the mustache in jail. Not remembering <laughs> all of it all the way, but remember liking it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with the Muppets. Uh, you know, I, I this came out in 1981. I would have been six or seven around that time, so that would have mm. been the first time I saw it. Uh, I grew up with the Muppet Show. I remember, you know, tuning in to see especially the Star Wars episode that had oh Mark Hamill God, as the, the guest. Star Wars episode. Um, but so I grew up with this stuff, and and it's remained i mean i've been a huge muppet fan the death of jim henson hit me hard when i was a teenager and it's just always been kind of my happy place like when bad things happen in the world i can turn to the muppets you know i i remember in the in the days following 9 11 watching the muppet show and in the days following the 2016 election specifically pulling out my dvds of the muppet show because i needed something Something that could fill me with laughter and something right. that could amuse me and make me feel happy. So the Muppets are kind of my happy place. And they inhabit a world that, while there are things that go wrong, like with their villains or whatever, they inhabit such a world where, like, everything does get wrapped up so neat in a bow at the end. And how they can have a living running a theater to an audience that doesn't like their show. And just everything about the Muppets is this ideal, perfect world. And it's so nice to just live in that for an hour and a half to a couple hours at a time. Now, you mentioned Vogel a couple of times uh, doing, you know, as the new voice of Kermit. But you said you you kind of grew up in the, the Whitmire era. Yes, so I did. Was it, was it weird for you as someone who grew up in the Whitmire era to go back and watch the original voice of Kermit was that, was there ever a disconnect there or did you just, it was just Kermit to you? I don't think so. Cause yeah, it was just Kermit. And maybe the first time I would say he sounds funny, but my parents were like, Oh, cause that's cause the guy who did his voice died. And it's like, Oh, okay. 
and I just understood and moved on and getting older, like would find out the voice comparisons and how the differences are, how Jim's is like more in his nose. Steve Whitmire is all in his throat. Matt Vogel's trying to do in between. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a very, you know, what's I, you know, what's in between the nose and the throat, right? Well, yeah, the, the mouth, <laughs> the end of the mouth but... <laughs> yeah, it's it like, there was a bit of a disconnect at first growing up, but it kind of just smoothed out to like Kermit sounds vaguely like he always sounds kind of like this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's take a look real quick at the critical side of things. Um, the movie sits at 76% on Rotten Tomatoes and 70% at Metacritic. Uh, I always bring in a positive and a negative review just to kind of give us points to talk about, maybe some things that I thought about or, or maybe just some ideas for us to, to bounce off of. Okay. Um, our, and I always try to use Roger Ebert, and I'm really sorry to say- I did see the Roger Ebert review. He gave Roger Ebert is our negative review this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of surprising. Yeah. Ebert writes, this time Henson and his associates haven't developed a screenplay that pays attention to the Muppet personalities. Instead, they ship them to England and dump them into a basic caper plot, treating them every bit as much like a formula as James Bond. This won't do. We don't care about some dumb diamond the size of a baseball, and as Muppet fans, we're probably also indifferent to Henson's ambition to satirize old movie genres. When he gives us a Busby Berkeley-like water ballet starring Miss Piggy, our reaction is complex. We think, A, that kids in the audience won't know what's being satirized, and B, that Miss Piggy's fantasies have become less fun as they reveal less vulnerability. Uh, on the positive side, Vincent Canby of the New York Times writes, and I, I will admit I've taken this from throughout his review. Uh, he writes, after decades of doing without, moviegoers have a team of stars on which to heap the adoration they once dumped on Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald. All hail Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. <laughs> Kermit the Frog is not as resolutely expressionless as Mr. Eddy was, and he doesn't sing with the nasal force that so distinguished Mr. Eddy's stout-hearted men. But he, and he's a good deal shorter, but he's a match for Mr. Eddy where it counts. Kermit has heart, and within his eye, there's enough beauty to transform Miss Piggy into Miss McDonald whenever he he beholds her. Miss Piggy would probably resent being compared to Miss McDonald. She obviously considers her je ne sais quoi unique, which it is. She also possesses a curious but most winning lack of self-awareness, the kind you sometimes see in miniature poodles that behave as if they were Great Danes. <laughs> now, the Roger Ebert one is interesting because the whole point of the movie is to Satir like satirize the formula of these caper movies by putting them up at personalities in there. And I think they're as strong as ever. They might've made Kermit a little more innocent than usual, but besides that, it, it, fe they feel like the Muppet characters to me. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and the issue I have with his review is his comment that, you know, we think a, the kids in the audience won't know what's being satirized and B Miss Piggy's fantasy, blah, blah, blah. I saw this as a kid. I didn't care what was being satirized. I, I loved this movie. In fact, until recently, I would almost say this was probably my favorite of the Muppet movies, but I'll get more into that in a little while. Okay, interesting. This is my favorite of the Muppet movies, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, there's pretty much any time someone mentions their favorite Muppet movie, like, I'm never going to fight them on it, because right. all of them are good. If you say, maybe two of them, if you say they're your favorite, I'll kind of be a little aghast. But, um, we but can yeah, I mean, that later. one of the joys of the Muppets to me, 
uh, especially as I've gotten older, is that they have so many layers of jokes mm-hmm. that oh yeah, it, the, it doesn't matter whether the kids get what's being satirized. There are jokes in there that the kids get, and I guarantee you, I I I didn't know what satire was at seven years old. Yeah, but I guarantee you, I loved the movie. You know, yeah. I mean. There, there are jokes. I mean, like one of the things I absolutely love about the Muppets is their their need to in, to put in a running gag, mm-hmm. and in and in this movie, it's the what color what are color their hands it? now, which I absolutely love, and I remember loving it as a child, and also it still makes me laugh. And also, what I think is one of the funniest moments in all of cinema, and it's just a slight running joke where a lot of Muppet jokes are wordplay or just taking a cliche and subverting it a little bit, but. Sometimes they wheel into the absurd, like how Kermit and Fozzie are twins. Oh my but god, I you love can that joke. Only tell when Fozzie's wearing a hat. Right. Right. And <laughs> they they call them twins a few times. There are multiple times where Fozzie doesn't know which one is which. Right. right. I can't <laughs> which one are you? I'm the one on the right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think you're cold. At least you have fur. No, that's you. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, and the picture of their dad, where it's Fozzie's body, but he's green. He has the Kermit collar and Kermit's eyes. I post that picture every Father's Day on my Twitter because I'm like, (laughs) this is the greatest dad in media. Like, you can't top him. And that's a joke that I got as a kid. Now, you've jumped back to the Muppet movie where the running gag was, uh, have you tried Harry Krishna? Oh, that's her. I didn't get that as a kid. I probably didn't get that until I was in my 20s, frankly. Yeah, I think in college, I finally looked like, I finally looked up like, is this just a thing that sounds funny or what is this? Right. So I don't think Ebert has a valid point with that because it doesn't matter whether the kids get what's being satirized. There's still entertainment in here for them. Right. And even as a child, like as you get older, you appreciate the technical aspects of it a lot more. But as a kid, like, you understand the Muppets are puppets and you like look at your toy hand puppets and you're like, Oh, my puppet does this. My puppet does this. And that's pretty much it. And there are a lot of things like the underwater ballet sequence. He's so chastised it. Like looking at it, you're like, how is this puppet underwater? It's breathing out of its nose. Like I see the air bubbles. How does he do that? Even as a kid, it's impressive and it's cool. And it like makes your imagination go nuts. Right. And and the fact that it is a Busby Berkeley like moment is, again, something I didn't appreciate as a kid. But as I've gotten older and my cinematic tastes have gotten more refined and more sophisticated and exposed to more stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that's when you watch it and go, oh, they're doing Busby Berkeley here. And so not only are you amazed at the technical wizardry that's into the scene, but also how well they're recreating the inspirational material. Yeah, exactly. It's. It, there's just there's so much of this to like and just to focus on that one thing for a negative review i think is a little harsh like it doesn't mention the songs and how catchy all of the songs in this are i think it was uh joe raposo wrote them and yes he composed a lot of sesame street music i think he did being green originally and it's he's still just hitting on all man i firing on all cylinders that's what I was trying to say. Um, <laughs> I, I will I will say, except one, and th- there's a song in here I completely, totally forgot 
even exists and that's the the song nightlife which is what yeah. dr teeth and the electric mayhem are playing when they go out in the band in the in the bus uh and they're driving through the city to go pick up miss piggy uh i totally forgot that song even existed and i do have to admit i don't think it's a very good fit for the movie it feels like most of the songs are like germane to what's going on mm-hmm. and they're conveying a mood or something and nightlife is like a two-minute interruption in the movie it almost feels like not exactly filler, but maybe an on track or something that would happen between acts in a musical. Like it's just thrown in there. It has such a modern sound. Maybe they wanted to try to get a uh, charting hit from the movie. Right. It's not the most memorable. I think it's stuck in my head because someone covered it on the 2011 The Green album. And they did? That, yeah. And it's a lot more hard than. Like, it's a lot more hard rock than what's played in this, but um, that pops up on my Spotify a lot, and I always go, oh, yeah, it's the bus song, okay. I, I have that album, and I don't remember it, so <laughs> yeah. apparently this song has just been, maybe I've, like, encountered the Men in Black, and they've uh, flashy thingied this song out of my yeah, brain Yeah, just somehow, this cause... one moment. Right, I don't know why. I, uh, wish, I, I... Oh, I wish they could have done that to me in high school when... Every time, both times I took the SATs, Happiness Hotel was running through my head the entire time, and I was panicking because I knew I had to focus on the SATs and like all of their weirdly worded questions and just trying to like, okay, if A equals this and B equals this, yeah, (laughs) just constant. That's. I'm sorry to laugh at your pain, but that is I mean, hilarious. I mean, that's like fine. that's something like they would do in a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... it it turned out fine. I and I was able to write my essays without wrote without writing. Though the management is cheerful, but the jo- whole joint's gone to hell in the middle of it. But <laughs> I can't imagine how what that would do to your score. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned uh, Gonzo's outfit at the beginning. One of the things I noticed this going, this viewing of the film, and it's been a while since I've watched it, but one of the things that stood out to me is we get 54 minutes, and I paused the movie to get the time count. We get 54 minutes into the movie before Kermit is without clothes. At all? Really? Yeah. uh, In the, no, isn't he, isn't he naked in the plane? And when they land in the lake, he pops out and he's just collar. I guess may- maybe, and I just didn't notice it because he's not, you know, fully shown in that. But yeah. he wears so much clothing in this movie. He wears boxers at one point. Yeah. And they make a joke of Gonzo seeing into his boxers. Yes. Which... And him turning around and zipping up his zipper. Yeah. Which again, kids aren't going to get that joke. <laughs> and it kind of makes his usual attire a little more disturbing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean he is uh he's dressed and he's well dressed. I mean, you got to admit. Oh yeah, the guy looks- the guy rocks a tuxedo. Yeah, top hat works for his strange little head. Like it's it's fantastic. And the song that leads into that is incredibly catchy as well. Yes. It's got the oh. little shadow moment. It's beautiful, which apparently took like 40 some takes to get right. Oh, I'm sure. Like I that mean, was one of the the most te- technically challenging as far as just getting it right on film to do that shadow dance. <laughs> I'm like, it's one of those one of those movies where you watch it and you're like, wow, this must have been such a fun set to be on. But certain shots you're like, this must have been a pain and taken like six days, like in the Happiness Hotel, all of the rats carrying the luggage. Oh, yeah. And how they 
how it's such an impressive sequence. And then uh, admittedly, the kitchen rats in Muppets take Manhattan definitely tops it. But yes, it's still just such a neat sequence to watch and be like, I don't see any wires like it looks like they're physically moving. They're in the scene, which is why I think that there was finally a technical disappointment to this movie for me, which I, I, I know I didn't catch before maybe five years ago. And that is that three times in the movie, Miss Piggy is very obviously a yes. person in a giant Miss Piggy costume. Oh my God. And it's so bad. <laughs> it's so off-putting. And I had <laughs> never... I had never noticed it before, and then all of a sudden, the, I, it's all, one of my viewings, I, I noticed it, and now I can't unsee it. It's like, oh, it's horrible. It's one of those, it's, like, I find it, I think it's fine for the motorcycle sequence, because that's kind of also part of the joke. You're like, this is a full stunt, so she's going to have a stunt person. It's kind of funny that the stunt person's a human. But then, the rest of the time, the one other time it happens is just like a crane shot above her as she's walking. And yeah, it's very obviously she goes from like a three foot tall puppet to a five foot something person and like doesn't do the Muppet walk where it's like their shoulders are bouncing and it's just a regular walk. And it is just like cognitive dissonance. Yeah, and it's it's done a third time during the water ballet when she dives. That's right. the same. That's the same. But it's those three times, and they they stand out so much. And it's like amidst all of this technical wizardry mm-hmm. that they did elsewhere in the film, those three moments are just like, oh, oh no. The also the one shot of Piggy coming out of the water is, uh, in that sequence, it's a great shot. And it for years it was like, oh, how did they do that? And then now you can very clearly see it's just played in reverse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for years growing up, I was like, how she not get wet when they do that? <laughs> I do. I kind of I have a love-hate relationship with like watching older movies and finding out that a visual effect that blew your mind as a child was just one of the simplest things in the world. Oh, yeah. Well, and then see, I studied special effects as early as my early teens. Like, I've Mm. always loved special effects. And I loved finding out how it was done. But when you can watch the movie and see how it's done right there is where my disappointment comes into play. Yeah, there's it's a little off topic, but the one that I will always and like watching it on TV, I think it was last Christmas. And I pointed out to my parents, like freaking out, like this is one of the best effects I've ever seen. And I don't know how they do it is the carpet bag in Mary Poppins oh, where God, yes. everything just keeps coming out of it. And growing up just like, Oh, it's magic. And then when I started to get into effects, I'm like, Oh, it's probably just like they have a mirror under the table, right. but then Michael goes under the table, right where you think the mirror would be. And he's moving his hand all around in it. And it's like, well, it can't be that. Can it? yeah i mean and that's to me being able to see that and be amazed by it and then discover how they did it was Mm -hmm. part of the fun of movies for me so watching and being like well you know i mean like like you said okay so how how did she come out of the water and not be wet well it never dawned on me they played the footage in reverse like that to me is clever but how did they get her to dive oh it's a person in a costume and again i didn't notice it when i was younger but if I had, I think that would have disappointed me even then. And this, it's not like it stops at this movie. I know you had someone claimed Muppets Take Manhattan, so I'm not going to take it all away from them. But roller skating Miss Piggy is a person in a Miss Piggy suit again. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, some of the, the jokes that just I absolutely love from this, uh, again, some of the self-awareness when we first see Diana Rigg, yes. um, and, and she's explaining to Miss Piggy the job and that she has to go to lunch with her brother. And she starts just, it's like a good, you know, minute and a half bit about Nikki and Piggy goes, why are you telling me this? Oh, it's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere. And I'm just like, that is the laziest way of telling a story. And yet by putting the punchline there, it becomes it brilliant. It's it's so funny. And everything between Lady Holiday and Nikki, Nikki's just Charles Grodin up to 10 on the sleazeball meter. Yes. He's just, it's so fascinating to watch that and be like, how did I, he, he's one of those characters that as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, he's the bad guy, whatever. But every time I watch it, as I get older, I'm like, this is the best part of this movie. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's he is definitely what, what I love about the Muppet movies is the adults, the grownups, the actors, the professionals. They never treat it as if it is anything less than any other of their projects. And yeah. it, so he goes all in on this just like anybody else does. I mean, it would be very easy for John Cleese to view this as beneath him, you know, but. He he gives his scene his all, but staying with Charles Grodin, I guess we'll go to the cameos in a couple minutes, but staying mm-hmm. with Charles Grodin, I mean, he is just, I, I, I love the character he plays. I, 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 it really cracked me up this time for some reason when he suddenly is just so smitten and in love with Miss Piggy. And it's like that, that never come, that comes out of nowhere. There's it no really development does. for that, but I don't care. It's it, so funny. It is. It's. Well, it's kind of just going off the fact that he's just kind of a sleazy guy. And of course, he'll see someone and like a woman pays a little bit of attention to him and he'll be like, well, I love them. That's it. And yeah, yeah, he tries to have his change of heart about stealing, about framing Miss Piggy. And he has his whole little dramatic, forgive me, Miss Piggy, I must. And uh, (laughs) the entire song, his over the top dubbed voice for the (laughs) opera section. (laughs) That they acknowledge, and again, yeah. there's that meta moment when Big Piggy even r- saying your voice was dubbed. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, it's like it's, it's so beautifully done because again, they could have probably gotten away with it, and people would have just been like, "Oh, he was dubbed," but they turn it into a punchline. Like it is the 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 epitome of if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's exactly. what they're doing. If anything isn't going up to snuff with the way they want to do the movie, they turn it into a joke. Yeah, it feels like Charles Grodin especially was on the same wavelength and was just trying to make the Muppet performers laugh along with him. That wouldn't surprise my The one line he delivers that still cracks me up is after the uh, the, the necklace is stolen and he's there. Oh, she screamed right into my ear. Yeah. And I got ketchup all over my cummerbund. <laughs> like she's had her diamonds stolen and he's like whining about ketchup. Because, <laughs> of course, he knows what's happened since he's the one behind it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the three other nameless models are they're doing a they're taking this completely seriously. Oh, and down to the the, the wonderful uh, heist, you know, checklist that both teams checking their their gear. And I love the contrast of that and how serious those three models and Nikki are about, you know, Mm -hmm. the the radar gun and computer scrambler. Right. All this stuff that never comes into play when the actual breaking in. And then you have the Muppets on the other side who don't get a single thing on their list. They just have reasons why it's not there. Yeah. Box of chickens. They ran away. 
Uh, jar of peanut butter. Animal ate it. <laughs> Wax it, lips. Man, I just had it. Maybe yeah. you put it in your other pants. I only got I ain't one got pair another pants. pants. I ain't got any other pants. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah it shows and like that scene especially shows how willfully unprepared the Muppets are, but they will try to do anything, which is something that follows through in every movie that they do. Yes. Yeah. Well, and the other Nikki thing I have to throw in, because uh, I had never noticed, I don't know how this one, this detail eluded me before, but uh, uh, Diana Riggs' character in that exposition refers to him as an ir- irresponsible parasite, and that's and then, what stenciled on his door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Nikki Holiday, irresponsible parasite. <laughs> well, and I love some of their, their sign play, you know, the, the way they have their signs, like, mm-hmm. the you know, I mean... Kermit picking out uh, Highbrow Street, so that's where you know Miss Piggy pretends to live, yeah. and then the 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 sign about um, "Don't try it, you'll be torn to shreds" outside the Mallory Gallery. As when they're in the plane, and it's labeled "Frog, Bear, and Gonzo's in a box that says whatever." Right, right. <laughs> because there was no, and and I think that's where certain movies disappointed fans because there was absolutely no desire or need to explain Gonzo. Yeah, it was, was Gonzo. whatever. Yeah, I mean, and like they kind of mentioned it in the first one where Kermit's talking to Kermit, and he's like, he's kind of like a turkey, right? Like, right. in that cosmic sequence that everybody always forgets exists. Oh, that's my favorite scene in that movie. It's beautiful, but like growing up, I it would always show up. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Bite Size Biographies is the podcast of life stories. I was born in Petaluma, California. I grew up in Detroit. I was born in Hong Kong. Born in Interior, BC, in Canada. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I just had a wild time in high school. I slipped out the back door. An hour later, she was arrested. I failed out of that school another three times. Poo and sex, those are interesting. I got expelled from school. The other big thing that happened was it damn near bankrupt me. 21 years old, making like $49,000. And he proposed to me. We ended up getting married. I patented the first digital fish scale. After I finished my PhD. Join me as I converse with people about their lives by visiting bitesizebiographies.com or search Bite Size Biographies where you listen to podcasts. Well, and I think that's that's a, a, a good transition to that right there is almost indicative of why I I don't think this is my favorite Muppet movie anymore. Okay. And that's because I realized watching it this time, because even watching it this time, I was like, oh, when you picked it, it was like, oh, that's my favorite of the Muppet movies. I don't have an emotional connection to this movie the way I do uh, the Muppet movie, like the, the, the rainbow connection and the performance at the end. And that scene, those bring me to tears. Now, part of that is just because I also remember watching that movie on repeat after Jim Henson passed away. Mm Mm-hmm. But like the Muppets take Manhattan has its emotion saying goodbye is just a tearjerker type moment. And this movie doesn't have that. It has great musical numbers. Don't get me wrong. But there's that emotional connection isn't there for me with this movie the way it is for the other two Henson movies. And frankly, for a lot of the other Muppets. I mean, uh, uh, the the Christmas Carol has, uh, you know, heart to it. And and the the Muppets... the, the 2011 the, one has just like a good positive energy and you do really feel for them as they're coming back and Kermit struggles with 
feeling relevant. Right. Well, his song just tore me up the first time I saw that movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that connection with this movie. That's not to say I don't like it because I love it. It's still a fantastic movie. But I don't have that emotional connection the same way I do with almost every other Muppet movie out there. Yeah, that's a good point. And I do agree with it. It's not the most emotional Muppet movie. It's the very, the emotions are the very basic love story between Kermit and Miss Piggy. I think the reason it's my favorite, though, is just because it's it's not my favorite because of the lack of emotion, but the lack of emotion makes it sort of a gag machine. And it's just constant trying to make you laugh, like not to the level of density as airplane or whatever, but in that kind of zone. And that's kind of what I appreciate about it. That's a really good point. It knows what it is. Yeah, it's just it's doing a different energy. It's like, hey, we still want to try to do an emotional thing. It's not exactly going to work. But, you know, these old detective movies, we want to do one. We want to have fun with it. (laughs) Well, and I think this movie is responsible for me being a sucker for heist movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Especially, you know, because it's always the plan and the plan falling apart and Mm -hmm. how do they recover from it. And that's here. That's in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit just the third act. I would adore to see a modern Muppet movie where they try to do a take on the oceans movies where it's getting the team together. Yeah. That's a good point. Combining this and the original Muppet movie almost, but yeah, I mean, it's, it it is interesting how the Muppet films have evolved that, you know, the, the, the Jim Henson trilogy just plays with the idea that the Muppets exist in the real world, that it Mm -hmm. is a world with humans and Muppets in it. And that's that. And they never really acknowledge there's no rules. It's just, that's how it is. And then Jim passes away and they do the, the literature adaptations, the inserts and and then Muppets from space, which is trying to do the Muppets live in the real world, but they all live in one house. Yes. There's, there's not really interaction between Muppets and humans on the same level as the originals. And then I think it's interesting how the new uh, two movies try to make it the Muppet characters existed and it's a second level of the real world almost. What do you mean by second level? Like it's so these Muppet movies, the Muppets take Manhattan, the Muppet movie, the Muppets exist in the real world and that's that. But then in the new ones, The Muppets exist in the real world, but it's a real world that knows the Muppet show, the Muppet movie, Muppets Take Manhattan, have existed. That's a good point. They've got a celebrity status in the newer movies that they didn't have here because here they were just regular Joe. Exactly, which I think kind of takes, as much as I do adore the two new ones, um, especially Muppets Most Wanted gets better every time I watch it, I think. Um, (laughs) It's... I think the celebrity aspect kind of takes away from the charm of the Muppets themselves because the Muppets are almost always underdogs. You yeah. always root for them because you're like, I recognize that they're in every person in a tough situation. And then in 2011, when you see Kermit has this giant mansion, it's kind of like, oh, so he sold out a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of it as selling out, but I guess you've got a point with that. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a little thing. Yeah. Yeah. So 
speaking of celebrities, uh, the, the original Muppet movies especially were always uh, prone to having these cameos, and mm-hmm. I, I love some of the ones in here. You know, I already mentioned John Cleese. The John Cleese and Joan Sanderson sequence is so funny. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those things, growing up, I didn't understand why it was funny, but I was laughing. Now I'm like, this is, it's just so bland. Right. It's commentary on the British, you know, sensibility and propriety, and they're not going to get thrown by anything, but they're also not very exciting. Yeah. It, I showed, I was, I watched this with a girlfriend once and I was crying through this entire scene and she's like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know. But like, <laughs> isn't it funny? He thought the pets were dead and they, he thought, he like thought the butler was dead too. Yeah. <laughs> Was it the butler who's dead? No, no, no. He left, but the pets are dead. Ah, I see. And then he finds these people breaking into his house, and what does he do? He recommends a good restaurant for them. I mean, it's more of a dinner club, but still. It's Yeah, it's, it's just such a ridiculous scene, and of course it's John Cleese, because no one else could deliver it with that dry, deadpan essence as well as he could. Right. Right. Well, except for maybe, you know, Robert Morley, who is the uh, gentleman who greets them when they first land. True. Very and, true. And he was well known for travel ads at the time. I didn't know oh, him fun. other than just here. Yeah. But then you have, you know, Peter Ustinov playing the truck driver. And for and even the... Very brief cameo. Right. Even the joke that's there when he gets thrown out of the truck and you get the little scene with... with Oscar the Grouch. Grouch, yeah. What are you doing here? Making a very brief cameo. Me, Me too. too. <laughs> and there's more. sorrow in his eyes. Yeah, he wanted more. <laughs> Which I love because he was one of... Yes, uh, it's he, season one, isn't it? Yeah, he and John Cleese uh, both were people who appeared on The Muppet Show. So, right. yeah, and the Ustinov yeah. one is out there on DVD. Yeah, they have a... I think the John Cleese one is too, because he's season two, I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like they just had a good relationship and wanted to be back. And Peter Ustinov, like because of I had the old Muppet Show season one on DVD. So like I knew who he was only because of that. And then when he showed up in this, I'm like, oh, it's Peter Ustinov. My parents are like, how do you know who that is? And I'm like, because <laughs> he's on the DVD. And they're like, what else has he been in? I'm like, this and that. We had a... Um, I did theater in college and we had a guy who came to take all of our pictures of the shows and he looked exactly like Peter Ustinov. (laughs) Always like when he would come in, I'd be like, I turned my friends and be like, oh my God, guys, that's Peter Ustinov. And they would always be like, who is that? (laughs) Why are you laughing at yourself while pointing at this random guy? They were they were afraid you'd seen uh, Logan's run at a young age. Yeah, that's what they were afraid of. <laughs> but yeah, Peter Ustinov, and then of course uh, the Peter Falk appearance, which oh, is man. the he he's he steals that scene with this long drawn out story about a dry cleaning business that is just such nonsense, and, and it's, the joke just keeps getting added onto more and more it's just it's a yes and like huge improv scene where it's like hey you look sad here's a terrible story and then okay yes and you're wrong and also we're making a movie you're not part of this (laughs) and want to buy a watch yeah 
And and I mean, it's obviously scripted, but there's a part of me that wants to see an original script to see if Falk added anything to that lengthy story. Yeah. Or if that really was everything that was scripted and he just did a great job of delivering the lines. Like, I, I hate, I, I, I respect writers too much to watch any movie and assume that improvisation was going on because I know yeah. how movies work. But at the same time, you get such a lengthy you know, dialogue like that monologue and, like that, you just kind of have to uh, have to hope that some of it came from him on the spot and he was cracking Henson up. Yeah. There's so much weird little detail in it that you're like, it's gotta be, <laughs> it's, there's just gotta be something. And also I love right before that scene, the uh, cameo of puppeteer Jerry Nelson and his daughter, yes. where she walks by Carmen and says, look, dad, there's a bear. And he says, no, it's a frog bears wear hats. which is that 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 same running gag about the the twins the joke's back it still doesn't make sense it's still so funny now do you know the tragedy behind that uh his daughter passed away soon after from some neurological fibrosis i think that was it yeah yeah so she died within within the next year right uh, i do remember reading that yeah, which is which is sad, but it it's is. also it's it's also one of I mean I, I watched this with my girlfriend and she laughed specifically that joke. She brought it up later on, like that is just a key joke about look, it's a it's a bear, you know, and it's yeah, it's, it's laid on the foundation of the movie's own jokes, and yet it carries it on, and it it just makes you think about that world too. So all bears wear hats in this world. Interesting. <laughs> 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 well do all bears or is it just ones that are twins with frogs yeah I mean, exactly <laughs> all right what have we not talked about with this movie that that you want to make sure we get oh in? man what have we not talked about in this movie um i'm just looking through my notes uh the one one of my notes is just charles Grodin in all caps um <laughs> there's there are so many good jokes in the supper club sequence before the extended first time it happens number oh, which God, is yes. a gorgeous number just uh we got the unfolding top hats and everything but before that you got jim henson's cameo in it as gonzo's trying to take pictures yep uh fozzy's whole thing about putting enough sugar in champagne makes it taste <laughs> like ginger ale <laughs> which is something i've always wanted to try but i'm very nervous to do so <laughs> and it's such a fozzy bear moment i mean yeah. it's so perfect for his character <laughs> there's no class to that bear whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> um gonzo's taking all the pictures around and he Catches the one guy having an affair because uh <laughs> lovely picture, you and your wife. My wife's at home. Or my wife isn't <laughs> my, feeling my wife's well, not feeling well. Oh, then maybe she, she should be, be at home. home. She is at home. Uh <laughs> this is delivery. This is again being born in the mid-90s. This is what taught me what a dark room was and how photos used to be developed. Oh god, yeah. Which I remember first time watching it being like, why are the lights all red? Why did they scream when the door opened and the pic? Why did the picture like burn? I I don't understand. Like, don't they just take it to a place to have it be developed in an hour or so? (laughs) (laughs) So you were probably wondering that a couple of years after I had a high school class that part of the course was learning how to develop film. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Sorry to age you there. No, it's all good. So we mentioned all the cameos. I forgot. I did also want to mention one of the most important cameos in the movie is Statler and Waldorf yes. show up at the uh, fashion show. 
Yeah. Which, which gives them a great opportunity to get some one-liners in without it breaking the movie to fit their characters in. Like, their characters wouldn't fit in at the Happiness Hotel, so how oh, no. do we get those characters in? And this is how we do it. Make them <laughs> gross old men at the fashion show. Right. right. The bikinis are coming. Time to synchronize our pacemakers. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that that's an important cameo. But we keep talking about Charles Grodin, and I keep forgetting to ask you the question. I'm, I'm sure it's the question that everybody wonders when they see this movie nowadays, which is, why doesn't Nikki have an accent? <laughs> I, I never thought of that. I just was like, he's weird. He's a weird <laughs> dude. She meant uh, Lady Holiday specifically mentions leaving his wallet at college, so maybe he spent too much time in the states and like lost it at college maybe he went out of i I don't know actually that was kind of the theory i I mean it's one it's another one of those things of of the muppets they don't just they just don't explain they don't care it's like it doesn't matter that he's the only american actor in the cast he doesn't have an accent let's just move on yeah it's (laughs) well it's like les mis where why does everyone in france have an english accent except for thenardier who has the thickest most lumiere french accent All right, man. Uh, let's go ahead and move into the end credits here. Got a couple of games before we're done. Okay. Um, the first up is the algorithm says, and this is a list of very that various algorithms say you will like these movies because you liked the Great Muppet Caper. So this is kind of a lightning round of your response to these movies. Do you like them? Do you not like them? Do you not see how they're connected? They're pretty much very apparent how they're all connected. So. Oh, that's fun. All right. So first up, Muppet Treasure Island. Good. Lower on the uh, Muppet ranking, but good. I had never seen that one. Somehow, even the really? big Muppet fan that I am, I had missed that one until I had a guest on uh, earlier this year. Wow. And it came up in her algorithm says, and she was horrified that I hadn't seen it. So I fixed it before the episode even aired. <laughs> it was earlier in the thing I said uh, how pretty much any Muppet movie is good to be your favorite. If there were two that you said, then I would be surprised. The two are Muppet Treasure Island and Muppets from Space, because they're both good, but like a lot of flaws in them. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, incredible. The best version of a Christmas Carol to exist. No contest. Because Michael Caine is he's on that same level as Charles Grodin is here. He is it's just true. playing he's, it 100% serious. He's giving it a thousand percent. It's an incredible Scrooge, but I have this argument with friends every Christmas this is the best Christmas Carol adaptation because it's the only one that Charles Dickens is a character in. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Muppet movie. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I just love that movie so yeah, much. Right. All right. Follow that bird. Oh, man. It has been forever since I've watched Follow <laughs> That Bird. I rem- I'm trying to think of what I remember. I remember everybody has their own fancy little car, and I liked that. The race scene um, at the end, yes. Yeah, the race scene, the bluebird segment. Um, I think I enjoyed it. I'm probably I think it's on HBO Max. I might have to watch it again. It it is, last I checked. My my son, uh, who's eleven now, so he's outgrown this, but he right. loved I mean, obviously I pushed him towards the Muppets and Sesame yeah, Street and that kind of would. stuff, but but I had never seen Follow That Bird until he was of the right age to start watching it, and I was amazed at how good it actually is. Oh, okay. Maybe that's All what right. we'll do tonight. <laughs> Uh, Muppets from Space. Oh, messy. Fun soundtrack, though. Yeah. Okay. And it's, yeah, it's unfortunate favorite Muppet gets his own starring role, and it's so 
just off. Yeah. Uh, the Muppets Take Manhattan. Really good. Uh, I think this, I've heard a lot of people recently say it's their favorite, and I think it's the weakest of the original trilogy for me, but it's still fantastic. Well, we do have an upcoming episode on that one. I will make I, sure I bring up your take that it's the weakest of the trilogy. So, Yeah, not bad, <laughs> but personally. All right. Uh, Muppets Most Wanted. Really good. Um, I think they could have kept going with the uh, Constantine dynamic, but I think he is kind of gone after being a one-off villain, which is sad. And Gonzo should have been part of the breakout attempt instead of Animal. Uh, okay <laughs> valid <laughs> uh, all right the many adventures of winnie the pooh that's the 70s one yes yeah it's a classic and it's got all the rough sketchy outlines that one's great yeah and i found that interesting that it popped up on a, an algorithm because canby's review which as i said i just took a small segment of it but his review feels like there is something of a.a a. milne in this movie interesting so then the algorithm agrees with it, which I find really fascinating. Cool. Uh, all right. The, the Adventures of Elmo in Grouchland. Yeah, that was like right around the time I stopped watching Sesame Street. Like, I think <laughs> it was like five or six when it came out. And that was kind of the transitionary period out of it. I did watch it in college just out of boredom. And it's it's definitely a kids kids movie, but Mandy Patinkin is certainly going all in as the villain in it. So, I I don't remember this one. I know my son had to have seen it, but I don't remember it the same way I remember Follow That Bird. So. Yeah, I I think part of it is it's so Elmo focused instead of being like the ensemble that you know and love. They kind of just get a side story. The one yeah. thing I remember is Bert and Ernie constantly stop the movie to talk to the audience and oh, like see i dig that <laughs> yeah it's, that's that's probably my favorite part but it's just strange true true all right lastly the muppets wizard of oz Oof. <laughs> yeah that's a that's a big oof and um, oddly i like dr teeth's song there nap time more than i like the one in this movie it's not a bad song well you know who wrote the songs in muppets wizard of oz right not off the top of my head. It's uh, been a long time since I've watched it. Uh, composer Michael G- Giacchino. Giacchino? Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, now I gotta that, rewatch it again. That's. Uh, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> I remember liking it at the time, even when critics were poo-pooing on it. Oh, so. I remember watching it when I was 10, and like I think I went to bed halfway through. I was just like, it's late, I'm tired, and this is not keeping me into it. <laughs> god that's the worst that's worse than a bad print review right there yeah like even as a big fan and like i've gone back to it and just i think it's the worst thing they've ever done interesting okay all right all right finally we have a pop quiz it is four multiple choice questions about the movie are you ready sure all right number one the great muppet caper was not this picture's original title which of the following was not one of the picture's many working or suggested titles a muppet mania b the rocky muppet picture show c a froggy day in london or d muppet light parade i think a wasn't a was actually the original title for the oh, movie, man. and Henson hated it. Uh, <laughs> Muppet Light Parade was just me making a play on Footlight okay. Parade, which was a Busby Berkeley thing. But the rest of them were actually suggested or it working was, titles for it. It was tied between the two. I remember reading a uh, piece about that and specifically seeing 
uh, the Rocky Muppet picture show. Yeah, which I love. I'm glad it didn't go with that, but I love the concept that somebody thought of it. (laughs) All right, number two. An accident on set caused one of the Muppets to be burned, leading to puppet builder Amy Van Gilder earning the title Muppet Doctor for her quick repairs. What caused the damage? A. Fozzie got burned by an accident with the hot air balloon. B. Piggy got burned by the sparklers during the water ballet. C. Gonzo got burned by chemicals while developing photos. Or D. Animal got burned by hot mustard. (laughs) I think it's B. It is not, although Man. that's my my girlfriend asked if that happened when we watched this. I, apparently, there was an accident with a landing on the hot air balloon ah. and Fozzie got scorched. Wow, that's sad. Yeah. yeah, reading about how the hot air balloon scenes were done. I mean, it involved not only the balloon, but a helicopter where they were controlling mm-hmm. the puppets from. And I mean, it's fascinating. All right, number three. As we've discussed, the film pushed the boundaries of puppeteering through acts of technical wizardry. According to the technical crew, which scene proved to be the most challenging to film? A, the the hot air balloon. B, the bicycle scene. C, the water ballet. Or D, the break-in of the Mallory Gallery. Uh, C, the water ballet? Yep, absolutely. Okay, good. I got one. (laughs) Frank Oz said it was a lot of fun. He got to be underwater for like several weeks, but it was apparently really a challenge to, uh, to film that. Well, that's completely Which I can imagine. understandable. Yeah, you can... <laughs> yeah. Let's let's take cloth puppets and fill them with water. <laughs> I love how he had to spend so much time underwater for the sequel after Jim spent so much time underwater for Rainbow Connection. Right, the bathosphere. That, yeah, yeah. He, he's like, well, now you have to do it, Frank. We all have to do it at some point. <laughs> but Henson wasn't. I mean, he was in a bathosphere, so he was at least enclosed. True. Oz had to actually like learn scuba diving and be outfitted in scuba diving gear. <laughs> Man, that's insane. <laughs> All right, last question. Uh, Jim Henson appears on screen at the dining club, but he is not the only Muppeteer to appear on screen. Which of his colleagues does not put in a physical appearance? A, Frank Oz, B, Dave Goals, C, Jerry Nelson, or D, Richard Hunt? Oh, man. I know I saw Richard and Jerry. Like, we even shouted him out earlier. So I don't think I saw Frank in this movie. Is that your final answer? Yeah. No, Frank is in the newsroom behind Gonzo when he oh, that's calls out right. to stop the presses. So that's it's Dave right. Rolls oh, who, uh, who doesn't put in a physical appearance. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize that that was Richard or Jerry until like this viewing. Yeah, that's that's one of those just uh, the more I watched it, someone would point it out to me, be like, oh, yeah, that guy's Scooter. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you can see, I, you can assume how well I did on the SATs when it comes to uh, Great Muppet <laughs> Caper plus multiple choice questions. <laughs> oh, see, I should have been, I should have started singing Happiness Hotel while you were trying to think. All right, man. Uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, so you, if you want to follow me personally on like Twitter and Instagram, you can follow me at Corndare. That's C-O-R-N-D-A-I-R. Uh, it's mostly me trying to do goofs. And I co-host a podcast called no highway option it is uh as we like to say the cinema podcast that answers the one question that applies to every movie ever made is it better or worse than vin diesel's 2005 masterpiece the pacifier so (laughs) so our guests that's your measuring stick (laughs) well yeah it's uh we have a specific set of criteria it's for fun like the the pacifier is just such a strange fun movie that 
I always forgot how weird it was until I watched it. And one of my college buddies, we bonded over remembering one specific part of it. So he became my co-host for it. And yeah, we, we watch a movie with our guests. And then at the end of the movie, at the end of the episode, our guest gives us a movie for the next week. So it's a constant roulette, kind of similar to this of just, we don't know what we're going to get, but we're going to watch it. Oh my God. But the guest doesn't even get to pick what they watch. They get to yeah. pick what the next, per- oh, that's brilliant. It's a lot I of love fun. It. And we've, ha- we've had a good amount of variety. There was one run where we went from, uh, it's like early in the run. It, we went from like gremlins to shark tale to a Chinese animated movie that you could only watch on YouTube. <laughs> to running with scissors to baby driver to cabin in the woods oh my god it was (laughs) like i think that's one of the most insane runs we've been on but yeah it's it's a lot of fun though and what's the name of the podcast again it's called no highway option and (laughs) all of our socials are at no highway pod awesome well thank you so much for sitting down and chatting the great muppet caper with me thank you so much for having me i love this movie (laughs) yeah i'll never pass up an opportunity to talk muppets So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about The Great Muppet Caper, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or you can email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. This is unbelievable. This is the greatest discovery since television or something. Hey, big metal guy, I got food here for ya! My own giant robot. I am now the luckiest kid in America. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Connor J. Burke for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.